Chapter Twenty One of Plain Tales from the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. Plain Tales from the Hills by Rudyard Kipling. Chapter Twenty One In Error. They burnt a corpse upon the sand, the light shone out afar. It guided home the plunging boats that beat from Zanzibar. Spirit of fire, where'er thy altars rise, Thou art light of guidance to our eyes. Salset Boat Song There is hope for a man who gets publicly and riotously drunk more often than he ought to do, but there is no hope for the man who drinks secretly and alone in his own house, the man who is never seen to drink. This is a rule, so there must be an exception to prove it, Moriarty's case was that exception. He was a civil engineer, and the government very kindly put him quite by himself in an out-district, with nobody but natives to talk to, and a great deal of work to do. He did his work well in the four years he was utterly alone, but he picked up the vice of secret and solitary drinking, and came up out of the wilderness more old and worn and haggard than the dead alive life had any right to make him. You know the saying that a man who has been alone in the jungle for more than a year is never quite sane all his life after? People credited Moriarty's queerness of manner and moody ways to the solitude, and said it showed how government spoiled the future of its best men. Moriarty had built himself the plinth of a very good reputation in the Bridge-Dam Girder line, but he knew every night of the week that he was taking steps to undermine that reputation with L.L.L. and Christopher and little nips of liqueurs and filth of that kind. He had a sound constitution and a great brain, or else he would have broken down and died like a sick camel in the district, as better men have done before him. Government ordered him to Simla after he had come out of the desert, and he went up meaning to try for a post then vacant. That season Mrs. Reaver, perhaps you'll remember her, was in the height of her power, and many men lay under her yoke, Everything bad that could be said had already been said about Mrs. Reaver in another tale. Moriarty was heavily built and handsome, very quiet and nervously anxious to please his neighbors when he wasn't sunk in a brown study. He started a good deal at sudden noises, or if spoken to without warning, and when you watched him drinking his glass of water at dinner, you could see the hand shake a little. But all this was put down to nervousness and the quiet, steady sip, 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 fill and sip, sip, sip again, that went on in his own room when he was by himself was never known, which was miraculous, seeing how everything in a man's private life is public property out here. Moriarty was drawn not into Mrs. Reaver's set, because they were not his sort, but into the power of Mrs. Reaver, and he fell down in front of her and made a goddess of her. This was due to his coming fresh out of the jungle to a big town, he could not scale things properly, or see who was what. Because Mrs. Reaver was cold and hard, he said she was stately and dignified. Because she had no brains and could not talk cleverly, he said she was reserved and shy. Mrs. Reaver, shy! Because she was unworthy of honor or reverence from anyone, he reverenced her from a distance, and dowered her with all the virtues of the Bible and most of those in Shakespeare. This big, dark, abstracted man who was so nervous when a pony cantered behind him used to moon in the train of Mrs. Reaver, blushing with pleasure when she threw a word or two his way. His admiration was strictly platonic. Even other women saw and admitted this. 
He did not move out in Simla, so he heard nothing against his idol, which was satisfactory. Mrs. Reaver took no special notice of him, beyond saying that he was added to her list of admirers, and going for a walk with him now and then, just to show that he was her property, claimable as such. Moriarty must have done most of the talking, for Mrs. Reaver couldn't talk much to a man of his stamp, and the little she said could not have been profitable. What Moriarty believed in, as he had good reason to, was Mrs. Reaver's influence over him, and in that belief set himself seriously to try to do away with the vice that only he himself knew of. His experiences while he was fighting with it must have been peculiar, but he never described them. Sometimes he would hold off from everything except water for a week. Then on a rainy night, when no one had asked him out to dinner, and there was a big fire in his room and everything comfortable, he would sit down and make a big night of it by adding little nip to little nip, planning big schemes of reformation meanwhile, until he threw himself on his bed hopelessly drunk. He suffered the next morning. One night the big crash came. He was troubled in his mind over his attempts to make himself worthy of the friendship of Mrs. Reaver. The past ten days had been very bad ones, and the end of it all was that he received the arrears of two and three-quarters years of sipping in one attack of delirium tremens of the subdued kind. Beginning with the suicidal depression, going on to fits and starts and hysteria, and ending with downright raving. As he sat in a chair in front of the fire, or walked up and down the room picking a handkerchief to pieces, you heard what poor Moriarty really thought of Mrs. Reaver, for he raved about her and his own fall for the most part, though he raveled some PWD accounts into the same skein of thought. He talked and talked and talked in a low, dry whisper to himself, and there was no stopping him. He seemed to know that there was something wrong, and twice tried to pull himself together and confer rationally with the doctor, but his mind ran out of control at once, and he fell back to a whisper in the story of his troubles. It is terrible to hear a big man babbling like a child of all that a man usually locks up and puts away in the deep of his heart. Moriarty read out his very soul for the benefit of anyone who was in the room between 10.30 that night and 2.45 the next morning. From what he said one gathered how immense an influence Mrs. Reaver held over him, and how thoroughly he felt for his own lapse. His whisperings cannot, of course, be put down here, but they were very instructive, as showing the errors of his estimates. When the trouble was over, and his few acquaintances were pitying him for the bad attack of jungle fever that had so pulled him down, Moriarty swore a big oath to himself and went abroad again with Mrs. Reaver till the end of the season adoring her in a quiet and deferential way as an angel from heaven. Later on he took to riding, not hacking, but honest riding, which was good proof that he was improving, and you could slam doors behind him without his jumping to his feet with a gasp. That again was hopeful. How he kept his oath, and what it cost him in the beginning, nobody knows. He certainly managed to compass the hardest thing that a man who has drank heavily can do. He took his peg and wine at dinner, but he never drank alone and never let what he drank have the least hold on him. Once he told a bosom friend the story of his great trouble, and how the influence of a pure, honest woman, and an angel as well, had saved him. When the man, startled at anything good being laid to Mrs. Reaver's door, laughed, it cost him Moriarty's friendship. Moriarty, who is married now to a woman ten thousand times better than Mrs. Reaver, a woman who believes that there is no man on earth as good and clever as her husband, will go down to his grave vowing and protesting that Mrs. Reaver saved him from ruin in both worlds. 
that she knew anything of Moriarty's weakness nobody believed for a moment, that she would have cut him dead, thrown him over, and acquainted all her friends with her discovery if she had known of it, nobody who knew her doubted for an instant. Moriarty thought her something she never was, and in that belief saved himself, which was just as good as though she had been everything that he had imagined. But the question is, what claim will Mrs. Reaver have to the credit of Moriarty's salvation? when her day of reckoning comes. End of chapter 21 In Error Recording by Mike Harris